All right. Good morning, church. Morning, lobby. Wow. Lame. Thank you. Much, much better. Hey, if you're in this room and you are a first responder, nurse, doctor, cop, fireman, or a teacher, would you please stand? People out there. Awesome. Go ahead and stand up. Let's give them a round of applause. Amen. All right, your 15 minutes of fame is over with, Darnells. So, so thankful for uh, people that continue to serve us uh, amidst our times. Uh, and so if you have folks uh, in your world that are, are doing that, uh, oftentimes we, we think it, we, we feel it, we're thankful in our hearts, but we don't act on it. Uh, and I'm a big believer on acting on what we feel and what we're prompted by the Spirit. And so a quick text message, a quick email, a quick phone call to just say thank you goes a long, long way uh, for those folks who are serving. So please continue to do that. Uh, I'm going to warn you up front, this morning's message is heavy. Uh, I, I tried to lighten it on Friday, and I just can't. Uh, and so it's heavy, and it comes with homework. And the homework, I'm going to warn you ahead of time, for those of you who are here and for those of you who are watching online, the homework is very difficult. Uh, and it's going to take courage, and it's going to take um, strength, it's going to take boldness, um, but I believe with all of my heart, it is clearly what God is asking us to do. So uh, I'm going to ask you to lean into the sermon. I know sometimes uh, when I wasn't preaching and, and I was in the seats, it was kind of my time to take a breath and zone out a little bit, even catch some sleep. Um, I'm going to ask you to lean into this sermon. It is um, super, super important. We've been in this series called uh, New Creation People. And like we say every week, it's kind of a it's not kind of, it's a very churchy phrase, uh, this idea of creation people uh, as if we're aliens. And the reality is, if we look at the Scriptures, not just the book of Ephesians, but if we read the Bible from cover to cover, one thing we will see very, very clearly is that if you accept Christ for who He is and what He's done, you will be a different person. The old will be gone, the new will come, death will be replaced with life. And so what we're trying to do with the book of Ephesians as our platform is to unpack what exactly does that mean? What's my identity in Christ? What's your identity in Christ? Now one thing I also want to make clear is I'm not, and whoever else is up here preaching in this series, we're not telling you who you are and what you should do and what you should be. We're conveying what the Scriptures say who you are and what you should be and what you should do. This isn't my opinion. This isn't Alex's opinion or the Pope's opinion or Dan coming up. This isn't us. This is just merely reflecting what the Scriptures say. And therefore, it's life-giving. If it were from us, you could take it or leave it. But the Scriptures give some, some very clear descriptions, and like we just said, some very clear homework 
for us to wrestle with. And so this morning brings us to the topic of peace. It's pretty fitting for today's times. I don't know how many of you uh, have, have had peace over the last week maybe momentary, or if you watch the news, I don't know what news station you watch, but I don't normally turn it on and go, wow, that was just a whole segment of peace. That was incredible. Just peace, peace, peace. Uh, It's not there. And so what we're going to do is take a look at what does the Bible say about peace. On May 25th, 2020, uh, a white police officer arrested an African-American named George Floyd. This isn't new to you. This officer, along with his partners, handcuffed George Floyd behind his back, shoved his face into the ground, knelt on him, and ignored several minutes of gasping, saying, I can't breathe. And in eight minutes and 46 seconds later, George Floyd was dead. Horrible. So many of you have asked for my opinion, and as a former police officer, I've stayed away from it. But as I read this passage, I thought there is never a greater time to speak on this than right now when we're talking about peace. And let me make myself abundantly clear. Those four police officers were rightfully arrested, rightfully tried, and rightfully convicted. What they did was horrible, and there's no excuse for it at all. What what this event did is his murder quickly triggered uh, protests and rioting and unrest. It, It was as if a match was thrown into a haystack of peacelessness, and it erupted in flames. And those flames continue this morning. Even as we speak, this this dormant uh, racial, social, political tension is no longer dormant. It's a wildfire out of control. And there are very few places, unless you watch Teddy uh, up here with Manda and Alex as they're warming up, and you, you watch him with a microphone singing, you got to get here early to see that, and you see him in his dinosaur outfits and stuff. Unless you're watching that, there's very few other places you can watch and see peace. And that tension, that, that peacelessness continues to grow this morning. That's just one example. And there are many, many like that. And unfortunately, hostility between members of the human race isn't anything new to us today. Uh, Just a a quick review of history, uh, not even going into the biblical times, just modern history, and you will find hostility between mankind. One author writes this, the scarcity of peace has prompted someone to suggest that peace is that glorious moment in history when everyone stops to reload. Think Civil War. 
if you do some history on the Civil War, there are countless individuals who wrote, the greatest time of peace that I experienced during the war was when the other side was reloading. And for us, today in our culture, uh, on the, the beginnings of uh, a presidential debate coming up Tuesday, we find that there's only peace when one side is reloading. Between neighbors, between friends, let, let's go even worse, between family. It's sad. But it's a reality for us. From all indications, it appears that things are getting worse by the moment. The 20th century was the bloodiest century by far. Over 160 million lives lost in war. And the 21st century is off to a rapid start. So here's the question that we're going to wrestle with this morning. Is there any hope for peace? this side of heaven. You can get nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize if you help two nations get along. Why? Because peace is so hard to grasp. Let me make it even more personal for you. If you're alone and you're in your own thoughts... How hard is it to find peace at times? It's not just mental health. It's just simple anxiety, simple stirring, simple I can't make uh, truth or fact of what's going on in our culture and I, and I don't know what's going to happen next. Just that turmoil, that, that, that peaceless void that's in your heart and mind. Is it possible and if so, how do we experience it? And so that brings us to our passage this morning in the incredible book of Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 14. So if you have your Bibles or you have your phones, uh, we're, we're, we don't have our high-speed internet yet, but you should be able to at least pull up the scriptures. Um, but if you would, please stand for the reading of this morning's passage. It's only four verses. Um, so if you exercised yesterday and you're sore, well, you can sit down in a moment. Any of you exercised yesterday? Wow. Holy moly. Okay. All right. Verse 14. For he himself, speaking of Christ Jesus, for he himself is our peace. Who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. We spoke about that last week. By abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through Him, in Jesus Christ, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. You may be seated. It's the Word of the Lord. 
This morning's passage is going to bring us to four points that we're going to cover, and we're going to zip through these because there's a lot to cover on each one. These four headings consist of the following, the absence of peace, the agent of peace, the achievement of peace, and the application of peace. Notice the bookends, the absence of peace and the application of peace. So first, the absence of peace. There was a serious, serious absence of peace between Jews and Gentiles. One commentator writes it like this, a study of history of the ancient world tells us that none of today's social distinctions, none of our racial barriers, our narrow nationalisms, or our iron curtains are more exclusive or unrelenting than the separation between Jews and Gentiles in the biblical times. The Jews believed that Gentiles were created to fuel the fires of hell. A common motto was, the best of the serpents crush the best of the Gentiles kill. It was not lawful to aid a Gentile woman in giving birth, for that would bring another heathen into the world. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl, or if a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, the Jewish parents held a funeral for their Jewish son or daughter. And it's so much worse than that. There was a clear and obvious absence of peace during Paul's time, especially in Ephesus. And the Spirit of God knew exactly where to send Paul to deliver this particular message. It wasn't happenstance. It wasn't just that he stumbled upon Ephesus. This was an act of the Holy Spirit to bring this message because they needed to hear this. It was so applicable for them. There was absence of the peace. And there is absence of peace and mistrust in our times. This is not new to you. There is mistrust between blacks and whites. There is mistrust between Democrats and Republicans. Between socialists and capitalists. Citizens and government. People who want to defund the police and people who love the police. People who are very for the LGBTQ agenda and those who are completely against it. People who think COVID is a serious threat and those who don't think it is a serious threat. Conservatives and liberals. I could go on and on and on. There's an absence of peace. We can't get along. We just sling mud at each other. And and to think that the church is removed from that is naive at best. Completely ignorant and malicious at worst. We're no better. Because let's bring this even closer to home. There's conflict in our families. There's conflict between our kids. There's conflict in the church worldwide. 
conflict in our marriages. And let me just say this. Uh, Sandy and I are hosting and facilitating. We're not teaching it. We're, we're, these are uh, several videos that will teach the lessons. And I implore you, please, if you're married or you're interested in marriage, please, even right now, pull up the website and sign up. One of you, one of you married partners, be bold enough to just say, we're doing this, whether you like it or not. Sign up for that class. There's conflict in neighborhoods. There's conflict at the office. How, how many of you have somewhere you work where you go, I can't say these things because that's just going to light a fire? It's just conflict. There, there's even conflict on the roads. Do you know this is an interesting statistic? I, I hope this applies to the sermon. This is an interesting st- statistic. There's roughly 40% less traffic during COVID than there was prior. Is that insane? People just aren't on the road. But there's 30% more fatal accidents. That means people are driving emotionally charged. They're ticked off. And they don't even know why. But they have this aggression inside of them. Conflict on the roads even. It leaves us to wonder, is peace even possible in our day? And this brings up the next point, the agent of peace. Jesus is the only agent of peace. Jesus is the only agent of peace to heal a marriage. Jesus is the only agent of peace to root out all wrongs in our world. I don't care who you vote for. Whoever wins this next election, I guarantee in two months we're going to be complaining about that person. There's nothing new under the sun. Ephesians 2, verse 14, For he himself, for Jesus Christ, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. We spoke about this last week. But this morning it gets very personable for you and for me. Paul writes that he himself is our peace. Jesus Christ, the only world's hope for true and everlasting peace. This explains why the prophet Isaiah wrote our Christmas passage. Isaiah 9, 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders. Not Jesus on the government's shoulders. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of what? Prince of Peace. And that sounds good, right? Uh, Like, we love Christmas. I don't even know what Christmas is going to look like this year but he will still be the Prince of Peace. He will still be the only true, lasting source of peace. Now, you can run from him. You can flip him off. You can disregard him. You can yell and scream at him. And that will not change the fact that he is the only source of real peace. And not just from a global standpoint, but for you. 
in your life, in your circumstances, in your pain, in your sorrow. But what is peace? Because that sounds good, but what is peace? One commentator writes it like this. Biblical peace is more than just a personal sense of tranquility and well-being. It carries the idea of harmony first with God, notice this, first with God and then with those around us. It includes the idea of order and wholeness, of disparate areas of life and people, People groups coming together with a cessation of conflict and a sense of security. It's both. It's not just reconciliation with God. The fact that the wall of hostility has been torn down, it brings us to reconciliation with our fellow man, our fellow woman. And so often in modern day Christianity, modern day church, we're so focused on my personal relationship with Jesus. My quiet time with my Lord. That's garbage. That's garbage. The Bible says it's not just you, the Bible says you're part of the body. Yes, you have a personal relationship, but that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is God has reconciled you to him so that you can have no longer hostility between mankind. And we have forgotten that. We leave it to other people. You go make things right. You make peace deals. You march. You you make things right. If I had hair, I'd pull it out. It's us. And the church is one of the worst. Because as much as we want to pride ourselves in not being a holy huddle, we are. You are. I am. And I'll help you see this right now. This last week, how many people have you sat with that completely see life outside of how you see it? Not spoken to them, sat with them, shared a meal with them, listened to them, really heard them, sat where they sit, wear their shoes. If the answer is no, you're part of the problem. I say that in love because I am too. I told you this is hard. Said another way, peace is more than the absence of hostility. I I told someone this morning, we could abolish all the police today. We could overthrow the government We could get rid of everything that quote-unquote is wrong or should be canceled, and there will still be an absence of peace. Because we can't do enough. We can't do enough to solve the problem. True peace is not merely laying down arms or reloading. Biblical peace is that warm embrace of the Father, that human flourishing and the ultimate wholeness that's only found through the cross. 
and attempts to achieve peace outside of Jesus Christ, the agent of peace, will ultimately fail. And we will repeat history again. Take, for instance, a 1986 peace march. Notice what kind of march was it? Yeah, it's a peace march. 1986 that largely self-destructed because of bickering. It started in Los Angeles only to stall in Barstow, which is not surprising because Barstow is kind of the, the twilight zone of California, if you've ever been there. About 120 miles outside of Los Angeles, where about half of the 1,200 marchers got fed up and went home. Soon those remaining argued over who were the real walkers, who were really into it, and who were the fakers that rode in vehicles, finger pointing. They fought over the dress code that they were all supposed to agree to. They decided to hold an election, but they disagreed on who could vote. Finally, allowing even children to vote, regardless of age. Then the election was declared invalid, and many ended the peace march by not speaking to one another. Peace march. Humans are going to find peace. Humans taking charge, we will be the agents of peace. We know how to do this. Get out of our way. A peace march bickering over a dress code. That's crazy. Humans can achieve peace. Hear me when I say that. We can achieve an element of peace. It's possible. But lasting peace is only found through Jesus Christ. And this means that true peace is not ever going to be achieved through politics, through voting, through redistribution of wealth, through equal opportunities, more police training or defunding police, more education, more organizations, or marching across the country, or electing the right person. That's not going to create lasting peace. It might give us momentary peace. I'll, I'll agree to that. But it's not going to give us lasting peace. And so many of us today are watching the news waiting for the great headline that gives us peace. And we're not going to find it. In fact, I find peace when I get away from it all. If I'm on a trail or, or at a river or in the middle of a river or in the lake or just away from it all, that's where I find peace. But even that's not lasting. That's not sustainable. I have to come home at some point. I have to father rambunctious kids. So Jesus is the only true lasting agent of peace. But how does he achieve this peace? This brings us to our third point, the achievement of peace. How does Jesus achieve it? He does so by reconciling hostile parties. He is the ultimate Nobel Peace Prize winner. That's what he does. He, he is able to reconcile hostile parties, most notably us and him, and then it spreads out. 
Jesus achieves peace by tearing down walls. Ephesians 2.14 again, for he himself is our peace who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Let's review again. The Old Testament temple, which was prior to the Mosaic tabernacle, was marked by these petitions. And these petitions were solid walls. The dividing wall was a feature in the temple, and the temple was a massive, massive barrier. People don't realize this. This temple covered 40 acres. It's a massive piece of land. It was divided into different sections. The innermost section reserved for the one high priest once a year. And then moving out from there, and notice, moving away from that which is holy. Moving out from there, the second section was reserved for the priest. Moving still further out, the third section reserved for the Jews. Moving all the way out, the fourth section was begrudgingly opened up to the Gentiles. Gentiles meaning anybody who's not Jewish. And warnings everywhere. Don't walk here, don't go here, don't go here, because if you do, you're going to die if you're not Jewish. The dividing wall of hostility was a wall that separated the Jewish section from the Gentile section of the temple. And it represented the Mosaic law, this beautiful law that got twisted. And all those who obeyed the Jewish laws could enter into the Jewish section of the temple. Everyone else was forbidden. Hostility. Holding a grudge. Hurt. Left out. We could just continue to describe what that must have been like. But through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he abolished the old covenant. This means that the Mosaic law no longer serves as a barrier between Jews and Gentiles. Not only does it not serve as a barrier, it serves as a conduit between Jews and Gentiles. Notice this isn't between the Jews and the Gentiles and God. This is amongst themselves. Jesus created a brand new community and established a brand new covenant. That's why when we, we take communion, we talk about the new covenant, the new way of life, the walls that were broken out, the access that you have to the table, regardless of where you come from. Both Jews and Gentiles reconciled to God through the cross. The cross of Jesus. This implies that they needed to be reconciled to God. We forget this. We typically will just move forward to we are reconciled. There was also a need. Their sins, our sins, separate us from God's presence. But God acted in Christ to reconcile them and you to himself. He didn't have to. 
There was no law. There, were, there was no edict. There, were, there was no forcing God to do anything. He, he gladly did this. Even knowing all of your sin, he gladly does that. Because he loves you. I don't know how else to say it. God loves you. More than any word could be put into paper, therefore an action, the death of his son Jesus, to show you how much he loves you. And when their sins were removed, they were reconciled to God. Now here's the point. We're about to hit the stretch that's hard because homework's coming. So, get ready. When we recognize that everyone is reconciled to God the same way, it eliminates the hostility between people groups. Listen to this again. When we all recognize that everyone is reconciled to God the same way, it it eliminates the hostility between people groups. Not just people groups, people. It eliminates hostility between individuals. For the Christian, at least. But if we don't realize this, if we don't realize that we're all in the same pot of being reconciled to God in the same way, in the same need, then we allow ourselves to point fingers not only at people groups, but individuals. And that's wrong. The Packers are playing the the Saints today. I was just about to do something pastoral, and then you'd clap. So I'm not going (laughs) to deal with that with the Lord later. I mean, seriously, something silly like a football game, something extreme to someone else's color to an extreme of someone else's politics, to the extreme of of another person who has wronged you or that you have wronged. The cross tells us that Jews are not any better than Gentiles, and Gentiles are not any better than Jews. The cross says that they're both guilty before a holy God and are both in need of the cross. And similarly, the cross tells us this, whites are not any better than blacks, blacks are not any better than whites, Republicans are not better than Democrats, Democrats are not better than Republicans, and cops are not any better than crooks. And I can say that because I have told dozens of criminals in the back of my patrol car with tears streaming down my face and their face, I am not any better than you. Because the cross says that. Now, if left to Brian, I can certainly go, I'm much better because I didn't do X, Y, and Z. But the cross tells me we're not better than one another. So 
So finally, we have this application of peace. How does all of this talk of peace apply to us? It, it, it applies in this way. Christians must work as agents of peace. We have to. Why? Because a Christian is someone who follows Jesus, presumably, right? Are we all okay with that statement? A Christian is someone who follows Jesus? We follow the Prince of Peace by becoming agents of peace. That's what we do. And here's where it gets difficult. Because agents of peace go, guess where? Where there's not peace. We don't sit where there is peace. We go where there is a void of peace. And we do something about it. Whether it's on a grand scale or an individual scale. But we don't stay where it's safe. Matthew chapter 5 verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Romans chapter 12, verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on who? I don't like that any more than you do. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with who? That's brutal. I wish the passage said, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with who you choose. Or who thinks like you. Or who dresses like you. Who acts like you. Who has the same sexual orientation as you. Who has the same skin color as you. Who believes the same laws on guns as you. Who votes the same as you. I wish it were easier, but it's not. Anyone who says Christianity is a piece of cake isn't living the life of Christ. It's hard stuff. That's why we constantly say this isn't a game. When we come to church, this is not a game. If you're looking for a church that's just fluffy and, and Jesus holding lambs and make you feel better, it's the wrong church. So here's my quick question for you. How hard are you working for peace in your relationships? How hard are you working for peace in the, the circle of influence around you? Answer it to yourself. Is there someone right now that you're currently unreconciled to? Don't wait. Call that person. Send a text message. Send an email. Even do it right now. Set up a meeting for this week and work for peace. I did that this last week. I have a relationship that's broken. And as I was writing this sermon, I said, I can't even come close to standing before the church and give some homework that I myself am not willing to do. And I am meeting this week. And I don't have the foggiest idea what that meeting is going to look like or how it will end. 
but I'm going to work for peace. Full cards on the table, not because I want to, but because God says to. I, I wish I could get up here and, and just tell you, oh man, I just, I'm so excited to do this. I want to do it. Nah, none of that. I'm obeying the scriptures. Peace often means listening aggressively, shutting your mouth, forgiving, overlooking, letting go of bitterness, and falling on a sword. And and you might say, sorry, I'm totally in your way. You might say, hey, well, Brian, that's going to be pretty costly to me. Yep. Yes, it was very costly for God to make peace with you. So you can spend some equity of your own to make peace with another. Because as Christ followers, we have to work to peace. The watching world desperately needs to see the church practicing what they preach. Church, we're, we're very good at getting upset when people call us hypocrites. Well, we wouldn't be called hypocrites if we weren't. Sorry. We need to get better at that. It means to reach out to someone that's not like you. The young reaching out to the old, the rich reaching out to the poor, Republicans reaching out to Democrats. Get this, we can actually get along. Don't start shaking in your seat, but in this room right now, there are both Republicans and Democrats. Whoa. And we have peace. Why? Because we're talking about Jesus. Business owners sharing a meal with council members. Mask wearers reaching out to non-mask wearers. Safe distance apart. Being okay with differing opinions. Listening carefully and sympathizing with those who have been marginalized, whether you think they have or not. Speaking for those who don't have a voice so that they can be heard. Making peace. So here's your homework. This next week, I am going to ask you to, in prayer, ask God, who do I not have peace with? Brother, Sister, mom, dad, ex-spouse, teacher, co-worker, neighbor, someone who ripped you off financially. I don't know your world, you do, but there's someone right now, and I, and I can almost guarantee, it's not quite, but almost guarantee, the person has already popped into your head. And what the enemy wants to do is go, no, 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 you don't have to do that. Listen to the Spirit of God, not the enemy. If, if he's popped a face or a name into your heart and mind, 
Go make peace with them. Try your best. Doesn't mean you're going to have peace, but do your part to make peace. Because in doing so, you will be living out Christ in the context of your world. That's what we have to do. And I know for some of you here or watching online, that's a tall ask. Because there are some relationships that have been broken for dozens of years. There is someone who does not deserve or warrant your forgiveness. Neither did you with Jesus. So I beg you, be courageous enough be bold enough, be strong enough, be humble enough to ask God to let you know and then act on it. And don't delay. One of the greatest tactics of the enemy is delay. If God puts someone in your heart, act on it. Even act on it right now. William Barclay, a commentator, says this, and we'll close with this. He says, The unity of Christ produces Christians whose Christianity transcends all of their local and racial differences. It produces men and women who are friends with each other because they are friends with God. It produces men and women who are one because they meet in the presence of God. to whom they have access. Friends, you have access to the living God. I hope that never gets old. I hope, I hope that never just becomes routine that you have access to God. I, I, I hope and pray that you wake up every morning and you take a breath and you notice the light outside and you go, man, I have access to God. I am forgiven. I've been set free. I'm no longer uh, a slave to my sin. I have access to the living God. I hope that is prevalent in your heart and in your mind. So we've all got some work to do. I'm going to be praying for you, the staff. We're going to be praying for you all week long. You know who it is. Don't delay. Don't shove it away. Don't disregard it. Don't justify yourself. If God puts someone on your heart or a group of people on your heart to make things right, to bring about peace, don't disregard it. Do something about it. And we'll be praying for you. And I ask that you be praying for me Thursday. Thursday at 530. Pray for me as I try and live out the scriptures just with you. Let's pray together, and then we'll worship. Lord, we love you. Sometimes it seems like that's all we need to say, we love you. <laughs> but I'm grateful that you make all things new, that no matter how far we think we're away from you, no matter how far... Uh, we have a distance from the Holy of Holies. You've torn down the wall of hostility and given us access to you. And so we reflect on that in song. That's, that's how we do it. We, we reflect in worship to, to sing about these things. 
and embrace what you've taught us, what you've given us, how you've challenged us. Uh, and so I pray that you would be with my friends here in person and, and online as they go and, and pray and listen and then act to make things right, to bring peace, to be agents of peace between mankind. Help us to do our part. We pray this in the strong and powerful, loving name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior.